What up, what up? Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 181's pre-roll. I'm going to do two things here. Number one, I'm going to take a page out of John Odermatt's book, Host of Felony Friday, and ask you to give us a five-star review, a little write-up on the iTunes, on the Stitcher, on all the different review sites. And if you do that, for us to help us boost, help us get more listeners, help us really, it helps with the, the algorithms of getting us more listeners appearing in more feeds. You may ask me a question and ask me anything. Unlike with John Odermatt, where it's going to be justice related, anything's on the table. Yeah, whatever you want. Just make sure it's a 30 second answer that I can give you. I'm not going to go into a 20 minute explanation. I'm not going to do a bar talk segment on it, but something quick. So go ahead, give us a review on iTunes, on Stitcher, on whatever you're using. Greatly appreciated. And uh, second thing I want to mention is that you can still get a discount by using the promo code LIONS over at NorthSpokaneCBD.com. So if you're aching, if you're paining, if you have trouble sleeping, if you need some CBD products, check them out. Help us out at the same time. Good Libertarian Company and a Good Libertarian Podcast. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 181. I am Brian McWilliams. Yes, here once again. This time I am El Solo after a couple of weeks of having guests in. Of course, I had our fellow lion, J.B. Lubin, in to discuss everything that was going on uh, with the protests and race relations and just to get a, a very deep perspective from him on everything going on in the world at the time. Now, of course, a lot of that has stayed the same. But a lot of it's changed, and I'm going to get into some of the more positive changes that have occurred uh, legislatively and some of the most negative things that have occurred, mostly that's culturally. But, you know, starting off the show. Oh, and also thank you, by the way, for listening to uh, my interview, if you missed it, uh, with CJ Hopkins last week, uh, author and playwright. I had a fantastic time talking to him and really finding places where we overlapped and talking through places where we didn't, you know, where we did have differences. and. It is a good show of how you should handle conversation because I know libertarians, we get stuck in our positions. We're not very good at times at giving and taking and so far as conversations go, and you can end up turning people off rather than drawing them in. Uh, and it always benefits to try to find common ground rather than stick your sword in the ground and say, thou shall not pass. Or I guess it was a staff if we're truly going down the nerd hole with the Lord of the Rings. But I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you did miss it, please go back, give a listen to that. Uh, a lot of people listening to that on both sides of the spectrum, too, which is great. This is why it's good to talk to people that are not on your side of the spectrum, because you can share these thoughts. Then they will listen. They'll bring in people from their side, too. You might find out that you have a new listener. You might find out you have somebody that's willing to look at your perspective where they wouldn't before. So check it out. Oh, let me just tell you, I'm, I'm feeling a little... I don't know. I, I'm feeling a little low energy at the moment. I, I think that the weight of everything going on right now, as far as I'd say mostly it's as far as looking at the cancellation culture wrapped, uh, ratcheting up a bit, looking at 
journalists in newsrooms getting laid off, like the New York Times opinion editor, they laid him off for having a column by Tom Cotton, who obviously, I think Tom Cotton's a goon. I think he's a a, a war state, military industrial complex clown. And I don't agree with his statement that we need to roll the troops out. But I value hearing that side of the equation. And it's very important to hear that side. When you've got somebody that has as much power as Tom Cotton has, it's kind of important to hear what he has to say. Otherwise, all this shit just might happen and you're going to have no idea about it. Because as you see, institutions like the New York Times, which is just an absolute joke now, but you see an institution like the New York Times kowtow to journalists, leftist woke journalists, which of course comprise most of its population of reporters now. And honestly, most reporters in general are woke leftists that have been bred into the career by virtue of going to elitist leftist uh, universities and academia, and then just straight pipeline into journalism where they continue their activism over journalism. And I acknowledge, by the way, that there's no such thing as objectivity. There's always going to be a bias but the police, a.k.a. the editorial staff, a.k.a. standards at the newspaper, seem to have completely given up. They've gone away, wherein there's no longer any attempt at objectivity. There's no longer any attempt to remove editorializing. I mean, there are famous stories of the New York Times editors of, of bygone eras in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, whatever it is, screaming, get rid of the goddamn editorializing. We no longer have that. We no longer have objectivity. We no longer have any interest in showcasing two sides of an argument, which is a pretty goddamn important thing. When you've got your fucking cities burning to the fucking ground, important to hear both sides of that argument. I can't say this enough times to people, and it seems that my voice, while you guys are listening to it and and much appreciated, it seems that in the overall culture we live in now. And of course, social media has everything to do with it. It is the cause of the echo chamber. It is the cause of of intolerance as far as differences of opinion. And I'm going to talk about that uh, in just a bit after I talk about Chappelle's special and how social media is, is in fact a complete and total cancer. But we have these vital issues wherein one side of the debate is being utterly and completely silenced. And nobody knows if the side that is taking all cultural media, social media prominence, where people are getting fired for daring to even disagree on any level of daring to say, I mean, a principal got fired from a school district for saying something along the lines, and this is just me paraphrasing, but essentially saying, I don't need to hold up a Black Black Lives Matter sign in order to show that I'm not racist. And the superintendent of the school fired that person and said that that statement was explicitly racist. This is somebody that's in charge of schooling, of educating children, that has, number one, made an absolute presumption over a principle that they, I'm sure, have known for years, but out of an, out of an exercise in self-preservation and an absolute virtue signaling, has fired somebody that I'm sure they know is is not racist, for making a statement that is empirically a fact. You do not need to hold up a sign or change your social media profile to say hashtag BLM or hashtag Black Lives Matter or a black fucking box in order to prove that you are not racist. This is an inarguable fact. 
And this woman got fired because of it. Now, oh, again, which which order to do that? You know what? I'll wait. I'll do. The, I'm going to tell my little Facebook story first, and then I'm going to get into my my reaction. Not a review, uh, but my reaction to Dave Chappelle's eight minutes and forty six seconds special that he released uh, impromptu style on a Netflix YouTube channel. Um, because I do have some things to say about it, but I'll share this little anecdote first. And again, why I'm just so frustrated with everything going on right now. So Rand Paul in a, in what I feel is quite an epic Apollos had put forth the Breonna Taylor act. I think it's the Breonna Taylor act, which essentially would ban no-knock police raids on a federal level. Now, I've talked about Breonna Taylor and her story several weeks ago. Uh, This is an EMT, a black EMT, who was shot and killed in a hail of gunfire when police did a no-knock raid in the middle of the night, got the wrong apartment, busted in the door, said that they, claims that they, said that they were police and gave ample time and notification. All evidentiary uh, witnesses to the uh, to the event, say the contrary. They said they never heard anything until the door got blown in and gunshots were heard. Her boyfriend, who was in the bedroom with her at the time and who was shot himself eight times uh, while firing back at what he thought was an intrusion, also says they heard nothing until the cops busted in and uh, and started firing. And of course, the Louisiana Police Department has released the absolute most I don't even know how you'd put it. From what I've read and what I've seen, there's no body cam footage that's been released. There was a report released that had virtually no information in it. So the fight goes on. But he, at least, has had charges dropped against him. So that tells you that the police know. And this is before all of these protests happen, by the way. But that shows you the police know for a fact they're wrong and that they're going to be exposed. Now, this, of course, Rand Paul puts forward this bill. But this is on the heels of all these progressive fucking politicians and woke tards accusing him of being a racist because he wanted to put additional uh, nuance and protections into the anti-lynching bill. Now, because the bill's called the anti-lynching bill, God knows anybody that tries to make any alteration to it is going to be slandered and branded as a racist because this is a political game. And these politicians don't really give a shit about you and your opinions. They don't give a shit about your causes. They give a shit about scoring points. So they try to score points. Kamala Harris, of course, is, is coming after Rand Paul and uh, and calling him a racist because he's, quote unquote, delaying this this urgent legislation, which, by the way, lynching is already a crime. All this would do would be to raise it to this hate crime level and also put in a lot more uh, deep-seated difficulty for anybody that gets wrapped up in hate crime legislation, right? It really ratchets it up another notch. So Rand Paul is trying to add some nuance into that. And he cites in his defense the fact that black people, white people, all when he gives examples specifically of black people that also were caught up in hate crime legislation and hate crime-related crimes, which you know caused them to have something like 10 more years added on what what should have been a two-week sentence or would have been no sentence, would have been a community service sentence. But because it's a quote-unquote hate crime or has been reported or perceived as such because the woke mob or because woke politicians decide to perceive it or argue it or prosecute it that way, these people end up going to jail for, for years, ruining their lives. 
So Rand Paul is trying to put some protections in to add nuance to a bill that is overly broad in all definitions and overly punitive in sentencing and is called a racist because of it. But on the heels of this, he introduces the Breonna Taylor Act to stop no-knock raids. Now, if you're not somebody with your head up their ass, you know that no-knock raids kill an enormous amount of people every year, like a shocking number. I don't have the stats directly in front of me. It's a shocking amount of times they occur. A shocking amount of people actually get injured in these raids. And oftentimes, they are inaccurate to say the very best. Uh, the number of stories that I personally have read where the cops got the wrong house, uh, the person wasn't there, the wrong apartment number, whatever it might be, a- at least a dozen. And these are just the well-publicized ones. Now, of course, you may also not read about these very often because Google's pulled advertising capabilities uh, with Google ads and all these other things from Zero Hedge and Federalists. Not that Federalists really covered that that much, but Zero Hedge definitely would. Um, that's a topic I'm not going to get deep into on the show. So anyway, I post on my Facebook feed, which I've got a lot of left friends. I've got a lot of comedians who are 99% leftists. I've got a lot of people from all spectrums that are on my Facebook, you know, my Facebook friends. And this one jackass, I'm not going to name him specifically. And this guy also has the notoriety as being the only person I've ever unfriended, right? Because I believe in open dialogue. I believe if I'm going to post something, I'm more than willing to have a conversation about it. And, and typically, I don't post things unless I know that I can win that argument definitively. <laughs> you know, a lot of people throw shit up. No, I read the article. I read uh, beyond the headline. And nine out of 10 times, I know vastly more than anybody that's going to comment back on my story. So I feel very confident arguing with these things. And again, I felt very confident in arguing with this person. But you're going to find out momentarily why I decided he was unfriendworthy. And so I post a story, a link to an Axios article. And Axios is, by the way, a somewhat legitimate, you know, here's a news site. They, I don't know. It's still, it's still left-leaning but it's better than some. And it says, Rand Paul introduces justice for Breonna Taylor Act to ban no-knock warrants. And I write on my page in advance of this article, I write, this is meaningful legislation. All the people calling Rand Paul racist for trying to add nuance to the anti-lynching bill, colon, to, or I'm sorry, parentheses, to protect people of any color from broad hate crime sentencing, unparentheses, are trying to score political points. All of you that believe them without looking into why or what he was doing should be embarrassed. Lynching is already a crime. No-knock raids are currently legal, deadly, overused, abused, unnecessary, and need to be stopped. So, quite a few people support that. But then, this asshole writes under it, right? And not, and not addressing the actual post, not the, not the fucking post that's there about this story, about this absolutely necessary legislation that affects people of all colors. And as I was, oh, I think I started to say this and I cut off. And if you're not an asshole, you know that a no-knock raid predominantly is going to affect somebody that's involved in the drug war. That's 90% of why they happen is the drug war. And guess who gets wrapped up in the drug more than, more than anybody else? Oh, that's right. People of color. And predominantly African-American people. Or black Americans, because African-American doesn't make sense because not everybody's from Africa. So you've got black Americans predominantly getting fucked by what should be an unconstitutional raid where they're killing people, where they're getting facts wrong, where they're busting in based upon a drug war which should never exist in the first place, right? So all these things added. This clown writes under this post, how about for holding up the coronavirus bill 
than later getting tested and going back to Congress with coronavirus or getting his ass handed to him by his senior neighbor. That's what this jackass writes. And I respond to him with, a, I think, a expert level troll, which is, okay, how does that have anything to do with this post? Do you support no-knock raids? I guess you are anti-Brianna Taylor. Wow, what a racist piece of shit. Showcasing the ignorance of this man, showcasing how he's trying to attack Rand Paul for doing good by the black community, and he's just pulling shit because he clearly has a personal vendetta against Rand Paul, right? And this is my fucking problem. And this is why I unfriended this asshole, who, by the way, he posts all this dumb shit about Rand Paul about Rand Paul siding with Trump on certain issues, right? And then saying that Rand Paul said something remarkably racist about Ilhan Omar, which again is bullshit about Trump Vice. Some idiotic, <laughs> some idiotic article, five reasons Rand Paul is a racist conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Just like all sorts of these uber left uh, postings, opinion pieces from uber left sites. And at the end of them, I told him, I said, look, man, you really have too much time in your hands. Get a life. And after that, he calls me a racist piece of shit. <laughs> Is that too good? Now, I, I defriended him after that. I just said, okay, no more. I defriended him. I deleted his last post. because I was like, this is too stupid. So I deleted that, unfriended the guy. And then I realized I, what I really should have responded with before unfriending him, just so he could have seen it, was, look, I already called you a racist. You can't, you know, I already said no, no backsies. No backsies on that, bud. Playground rules. You can't double, you can't stamp a double stamp. You can't triple stamp a double stamp, Lloyd. Lloyd, you can't triple stamp a double stamp. I mean, this is truly the last refuge of the idiot, right? I, I call him a racist because, you know, by virtue of, of, of attacking a bill that would help black people immensely, doesn't that make you fairly racist? And, and going around to take your, your angle of thought, right? Not acknowledging any good that could come of it. And he comes back because the only thing he can argue back at me, unfounded, by the way, I have no racist history. I'm always on here defending and championing uh, betterment for people of all colors. But because the government is so involved in fucking over the black community in so many different ways by virtue of these uh, crime laws and asshole woke leftist policies. Well, I'm on here defending black people all the time. I'm trying to fight for the cause more than almost anybody else on my Facebook feed. Doing a lot more than putting a black square up there. But of course, I am racist. Because I call him out on being a shitbag with an agenda on, against Rand Paul. Too much time on his hands and just trying to attack to attack. Just unbelievable. But again, this brings me around to what I said earlier, how social media is a cancer. It is, it is at this point unsalvageable. I'm on here for you guys. Literally. I am on social media at this point. The only reason I'm on social media at this point is so I can share pictures of my baby to uh, to my family members. I don't post them on my public feed. And once in a while to slang some jokes, but that I could easily live without. So it's primarily for you guys. It is as a vehicle to uh, dialogue about the podcast. It is a vehicle to promote other things I'm doing. By the way, if you watch Bravo or uh, TLC, if you're into trash reality TV, like 90 Day Fiance, if you're into trash reality TV like Below Deck Mediterranean or The Real Housewives, Odie and Rico and I have a new show spun off. If you listen, if you're a Pride member, which you can join, little as $5 a month by going to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. 
But those of you who are in the pride know that we have a show called Degenerate Gamblers that is hilarious, where we talk about sports and gambling and stories and all sorts of assorted bullshit. Now, because there are no fucking sports right now, we decided, okay, we're going to start a little alternate podcast and spin it off and just for fun to give three drunk guys perspective on women-centric, because typically these shows are watched predominantly by women and the men that they rope into it, but we're going to give our take on it. Three drunk guys, you know, we bong a beer before every episode, and we're going to review these Bravo shows and give our commentary. We've had a great time. It's called Bravo and Beer, so check it out. It's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher, etc. Yeah, give a listen. Give a subscribe. We're going to be recording episode four this Wednesday, and that'll, that'll publish Thursday morning. So anyway, I'm on here to promote that stuff and dialogue with you guys. And if not for that, I would not be on here anymore because it's just not, there's no point to it. Uh, It's an echo chamber that brings out the absolute worst in humanity. And we're seeing that more with cancel culture as well. We know with these people getting fired for nothing. I mean, there's a, there's a story. I mean, we're seeing this play out in corporate America. We're seeing this play out in entertainment media. Like I said, news media, but what's problematic about this shit is that people view what happens as being said on social media, right? By this minority that has the absolute most ignorantly vicious opinion, but are so constantly loud and screaming and get amplified by the terrified mobs because people go along with this because half of them are just ignorant. So they just go along with it to go along with that without thinking about what's happening, the consequence of these actions and what as a society we're giving up by making sure that people can't speak if they have a differing opinion. And of course, the other half of them Just go along with it because they dare not speak up. I mean, it is the classic phrase. Like, you know, Vin Armani was talking about it. He was just on Monday's show. uh, Really good show, Mark did. Uh, Former star of Gigolos on Showtime. But, you know, it's the classic phrase where, you know, the Nazis come for all these different different people. I'm not going to bring up the exact quote, but you know what I'm talking about. They took out uh, The Economist, and then they took out The The, and then they took out The Jews, And then they came for me. And when they came for me, there was no one left uh, to speak for me. So this is what we're seeing, you know, as people are silent for fear in this economy, especially for fear of being fired, of being called out. And even I, I mean, Jesus Christ, I do public relations for a career. I have a corporate job. You know, I get paid for that job. Fortunately, I don't work for a giant fucking monolithic PR uh, company that is corporate America to a T or is owned by some massive holding company that is going to happily purge me because I'm not that vital and they can hire somebody else, especially in this economy where people don't have jobs. But at the same time, if the leftist mob decides that I'm somebody to target and decides to take something that I've said out of context, then God knows I go on epically long rants. I make very inappropriate jokes. They could pull something out and and have me, have me, uh, flagellated on the altar of social media and have me blackballed where somebody's going to try to you know look for me if I dare to apply for a job and dig up this shit. So it's a scary time. I mean, even coming into this podcast where the reason I was a little down, I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, if I say one wrong thing here and the wrong asshole finds it, what's going to happen? You know, I got a kid to think about. I got a family. And everybody out there is thinking the same thing. Now, I'm not letting it stop me, obviously. But I can see a lot of people definitely would. And I don't, I mean, I, while I decry it, I can understand where they're coming from. I don't think that they should. I think that people need to en masse stop being the silent majority, as it's called, which I think is definitely going to come and play out in the voting booth. 
I mean, all of this shit going on, you're seeing a lot of mass protests out there. You're seeing a lot of people come out. You know, you're not seeing the vast majority of people who are not out at these protests, who are not out there saying, yes, everything Black Matters, uh, everything Black Lives Matter says has to be done and is correct. And we totally agree with the Chaz thing. We totally agree with, with all these people getting fired. And we totally agree. No. You're going to see it in the voting come November. Just like with Trump, you're going to see a lot of people vote the opposite direction because they are now afraid. They're not only afraid because you're seeing violence in the streets, but you're seeing violence and carnage threatens to their their employment on social media because of innocuous statements. You know, they're seeing mass crowds of young people riot and loot and cause violence. Not everybody, of course. You know, the majority of the protesters are peaceful people, but they're seeing young people take actions which they do not approve of. They're seeing young people, quote unquote, driving the car or uh, I don't know exactly how Chappelle put it, but it's a good segue into Dave Chappelle's special. So, Let me give a quick shout out to our sponsor, and then I'll be right back. You know how old Brian McWilliams starts his day? Well, I'll tell you, it's with a big old cup of coffee. Gets a lot of things done. Gets my brain moving. Gets my bowels moving. Causes some accidents on the dog walks. Not going to lie to you, I drink a lot of coffee. I do that whole... Uh, fasting thing, intermittent fasting sometimes. I'll drink like four cups of black coffee in the morning, you know, because I don't want to be starving. I want my metabolism to go. Then go out on the dog walks, come home like four times. You know, I will start walking 50 feet, come home. You don't want to get too far from home base when things are percolating. But point of this story, guys, is that it's got to be good coffee. If I'm drinking four cups of black coffee, I want it to taste good. I want it to be smooth. I want it to be rich. I want it to be high quality gourmet style. And good news, our new supporters over at Lorenzotti Italy. That's Lorenzotti Italy, which you can find at Lorenzotti.coffee. I'll spell that out for you a little bit later. They're coming on. These are two libertarians who moved to Utah, found that they could not find a good cup of coffee to save their life, let alone a good Italian coffee or an espresso. So what they do? Well, using their entrepreneurship skills, using their libertarian uh, bent and mindset, they decided we're going to start our own company. We're going to research these beans. We're going to source these beans. We're going to import them from Italy. We're going to make sure that we create this fantastic product that people are going to embrace. Not only that, though, but they're also working with the equipment. They're working with the uh, the machines. They're helping entrepreneurs that want to start coffee houses by providing financing, providing instruction on how to use them, how to create businesses. Really an amazing libertarian business. And... As supporters of this show, good news for you guys. You can use the promo code LIONS at Lorenzotti.Italy. Now, let me spell that out. That is L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-T-T-I dot coffee. That's the website, Lorenzotti.Coffee. You go there, you lose the use the LIONS code, and you will get 10% off. But make sure you buy two tins. Because if you don't buy two tins, you're going to end up paying for shipping And that just kind of ruins the entire thing. So you get two tins, you get free shipping, you get 10% off with the Lions Code. And let me tell you, having just ordered it, it's delicious and also not that expensive. You'd think ordering this gourmet coffee, having it shipped to you would be expensive. It's not. It's the same cost as going to your local store. You're just getting better quality. So check that out. Help support a libertarian business. Help support our podcast. (music) 
All right. Welcome back to Electric Liberty Land 181. Again, uh, I don't know if I should mention this at the top of the show. Those of you who have listened already know this, but you can find all the show notes today, links to all the stories at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 181. Okay. So coming back in, I want to talk about uh, Dave Chappelle's special. Now, this was called 8 Minutes 46 Seconds. As I mentioned, it dropped kind of uh, unannounced. I don't think Dave Chappelle even knew he was going to do it. Now, you may have heard me do a review. Well, not, again, not a review. A commentary on his last comedy special, which came out, which I thought was fantastic. And uh, I will link to that show in the show notes, the aforementioned show notes, if you want to listen to that. And I'll say this. I'm a massive fan of Dave Chappelle. I think the Chappelle show was groundbreaking. I thought it was insightful. I thought it was hilarious above all and really did an amazing job of finding culturally relevant social commentary and making it very funny, but very pointed, uh, very, very intelligent comedy. Now, this 846 that came out is not comedy. It, it is uh, it is de facto not comedy. I would say there's two jokes in the whole thing, maybe. So to call it a comedy special would be very misleading. It is essentially Dave Chappelle voicing his frustrations and, and more or less just voicing his emotions and reaction and thoughts about the time being. Uh, and after seeing the Floyd video, which is of course why it's called eight minutes, 46 seconds, the amount of time that these cops were sitting with their knee on the back of George Floyd's neck. So I'll run through it just a, a brief rundown of kind of what he did. And then I'll give you my thoughts on it. So Dave Chappelle talks about the fear of dying. You know, he was in in Los Angeles before he moved. I think he was, then he moved to New York and then he moved. Now I think he's, God, I don't even know where, in the middle of nowhere somewhere. But he moved after being in Los Angeles for some time. And he was in North Northridge for the Northridge earthquake, which was a very large earthquake. I was not here for it. It's before my time in Los Angeles. But from what people have told me, it was pretty horrific. Uh, absolutely terrifying things shaking around like you wouldn't believe. And Dave Chappelle said he was absolutely terrified, you know, for about 45 seconds sitting in his apartment. So he then parlays that to talk about how George Floyd lying there for eight minutes and 46 seconds, knowing and thinking, you know, I'm going to die is pretty horrifying as these cops stood around watching it happen, as people yelled at them for watching it happen and how these cops could stand around with their hands in their pockets and not think that they would get the wrath of God coming in after them for doing this and for, and for taking part and for not stopping it. And Dave says, you know, you can't watch this and not be furious. That's what he thought. Says anybody who watches this is going to be furious. And yeah, of course they are. They have been universally, universally. Everyone that has watched it has been angry about it. And he said that he is kind of getting pissed off because he was, getting called out. I think he was watching Don Lemon on CNN. And he says, you know, calling out, saying, where are the black celebrities to this? And he goes, better not mention me. And then he gets pissed off because they're saying that he should be out there, right? And he says accurately that celebrities don't need to be out there in front. You know, who wants to hear from a celebrity right now? Why, why would somebody want or care about their favorite comic after seeing what just happened, that this is about, quote unquote, the streets and the reaction there? talks about Candace Owens' comments on Floyd, George Floyd being a criminal, which, of course, is true. I mean, de facto, George Floyd is not a good man. Um, the guy pointed a gun to a pregnant chick's stomach and threatened her during an armed robbery. I mean, an armed break-in. He's not a good guy. But 
as Chappelle points out, and of course I agree with completely, is that it doesn't really matter what he did to die like that at the hands of police. It also says that George Floyd, uh, this is one of the few jokes that he joked about, that George Floyd could have kicked Candace Owens right in her stanky pussy. Uh, <laughs> his words, not mine. Kicked her right in her stanky pussy, and it still would not have warranted it. He doesn't care if that's what happened for him to die like that. It was still wrong. He then talks about Chris Dorner, who was an LAPD cop, former cop at the LAPD, a black guy, who had been uh, working, executing a warrant with a white uh, co-officer or a white partner. And he reported what he thought was excessive force. Now, what happened is that he went through the formal channels and they fired him for reporting this excessive force. Then he went and tried to fight it every possible way to get reinstated. Didn't happen. And of course, Chris Dorner is the guy who was famous for going out and killing police, including gunning down two cops in their cars. Of course, the police response was absolutely mad. They went and shot up two innocent Asian women who were sitting in their car that happened to look kind of like his truck. And they just opened fire on, their, on these two Asian women in their car. Again, a completely disproportionate response. But he also wrote a manifesto in which Dave Chappelle is mentioned. And he ta- calls Dave Chappelle a genius and also uh, another kind of funny line. He also called Kevin Hart, and he said he's a Kevin Hart fan, which Dave, <laughs> Dave Chappelle shook his head at. But he said he's going to wage asymmetrical war on LAPD and their families, killing these cops. He killed one cop's daughter, which I, yeah, I feel is pretty, uh, pretty horrible, of course. And the police department knew Dave Chappelle was coming to, I guess, perform at the Grammys or something, and they said to him, Hey, don't come. You know, this guy mentioned you in the manifesto and Dave Chappelle replies, well, whatever. He likes me. I'm still going to come. Long story short, 400 cops find out this guy's in Big Bear. They go and surround it and then just, you know, make Swiss cheese out of the thing. Just go and kill him with excessive uh, belligerent force. And of course, the response is, why would they go out of their minds? Yeah, why are so many cops there to kill this one guy? And it's because they're one of their own was murdered. So he says, how do they not understand the reaction then from black America when they see somebody like this on video get killed in this manner. And of course he doesn't say this exactly, but to extrapolate on that, of course, having seen the way that black communities are in fact over-policed, having seen the way that black uh, people are treated, how are they pulled over more often, how there's more arrests, how there's more harassment, how the stop and frisk was primarily targeted at black people in New York city and other cities, et cetera. He talks a little bit about LeBron James being the whole, uh, shut up and dribble thing with Laura Ingraham. He also uses the phrase bitch to talk about Laura Ingraham, uh, Ingram. And he says that he uses bitch all the time because it's quote unquote, it's black. I don't know. I, I just wrote a note to myself that no one's objecting to that. Not that I really personally give a shit, but it's kind of funny that you're not seeing people push back, especially uh, some of these female reviewers. Just roll with it, I guess. Nobody knows what they're being canceled for these days. He talks about Eric Garner. He talks about Trayvon Martin, uh, Dylan Roof, which I don't know. I don't know. I, I would personally thought Dylan Roof being included was a little bit ridiculous. An insane racist. There's always going to be insane people out there. There's always going to be insane racists out there, no matter what you do. Um, I can't really, I don't know. I, I, I was confused by the inclusion of that. I know he shot up a church. I know there were black people in the church, but I, it just seems strange to include it in the list. Um, but he also talks about John Crawford, a guy that I guess he personally had uh, some affiliation with, with, who got shot the same week, Mike, same week Michael Brown got shot. Of course, the Brown story was the one that got all the play, but he said that John Crawford was a great man. Talked about Philandra Castile, etc. 
Uh, he also talks about how former military black men, you know, black uh, cops that were former military were people that had taken actions to fight back, including, I guess, Chris Dorner was former police. Um, says that, you know, if they see these people, these military trained professionals that go into law enforcement, and then see their countrymen being killed, why wouldn't they fight back after seeing that? And then he talked about the SNL skit that he did or at the end of his SNL skit because Chappelle was on SNL uh, shortly after being doing a special. And he says that he t- at the end of the set, he talked about how few black people were invited to the White House in the past, how Frederick Douglass was first. And then nobody else was invited until Roosevelt was in office. But he says he was wrong about that. Woodrow Wilson received delegates from South Carolina. Uh, a rich black man was lynched there, basically out of uh, fury by the white populace that a black man had overtaken them in wealth and status. And I guess Bishop William David Chappelle led that delegation to the White House from South Carolina, who was related to Dave Chappelle and uh, was a man who was a former slave. It's pretty interesting. His point being that slavery wasn't that long ago, that his father uh, and grandmother, you know, knew this man personally, that it was a you know, great grandfather and that slavery was not so far forgotten uh, in the past that it is no longer a, a thing. Uh, he wraps it up by saying that he didn't feel he needed to speak because he knows what he's seeing and he trusts the youth, right? He, he's speaking out now, but he says he doesn't really need to speak because he knows what he's seeing. He sees that the youth have taken it and, quote, the youth are driving the car and he's happy sitting in the back seat. And they are, quote, excellent drivers. Now, this is where I really take umbrage with the special, but I'll finish this up. He says that we have to keep this space open for civil discourse. I believe he's referring to comedy in regards to that. Uh, and after that, it's just rat-a-tat-tat. But maybe he's talking in a broader term that people need to be able to discourse in public and perhaps in a slight way, he's talking about cancel culture. Now, here's my response to this. That was as, as short as I could sum up a 30-minute special. Here's my response. As much as I love Dave Chappelle, I'm reading reviews for this that, you know, and they said it's not a comedy special. It's not. But of course, it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, whereas his special had something like 3% for a long time because all the woke leftist reviewers were shitting all over it, even though it was a hilarious special and really took on some very powerful and important topics in a humorous way and from an intelligent perspective that did not toe the line of, uh, of democratic talking points. So what do I make of this, this special? If I'm being perfectly honest, I, I was a bit let down by it. I expected more. Uh, I guess. And I know this is not a finished product. His last special was a finished product. It was tested material. This was more raw. This was coming from a notebook. This was him just voicing frustration. I get that. At the same time, he talks about not wanting to speak up and why should he now? And then he comes out and does this. So clearly he felt it was ready to be shared on some level. I don't know. For me, it just... It seemed like he was upset, and I understand why. It seemed like he was voicing uh, frustrations with the system. Of course, we can all understand that. But there wasn't anything within that that I found particularly grabbing. And people are talking about this sermon as though it's the next great thing that everyone must watch. I know I had some of my friends ask me, oh, did you watch it yet? I don't know. I expected more. I, I really did. And, and, and that's probably because of my level of respect for Dave Chappelle. I view him as, I do view him as a genius comedically, and I view him as a very intellectually honest and enlightened person. So for me, this was pretty much, I get you're upset. Uh, 
I understand where you're coming from, but it wasn't anything that special. I feel like almost anybody could have said it. Um, I know it's more powerful coming from a man like Dave Chappelle, but at the same time, we already have this movement going. We already have these marches. We already have things in full swing. So for me, what I took away from it was almost, I was more upset with the way he finished by talking about how he's happy not to speak at this point because he's happy with the way things are going and he's happy with the youth driving the car and him sitting in the back seat. And that's really what grabbed me and kind of aggravated me because we see what's happening with the culture. We see cancel culture taking front seat. We see people, nobody even knows what you can and can't be canceled for anymore. And Dave Chappelle is in a very privileged position as somebody in the, in the public eye where he has so much money and so much clout that he can't be canceled. He's J.K. Rollins. He can't be canceled. And that's a nice position to be in. So while you are content to sit in the back and let the youth drive, the youth are terrifying to any of us trying to have the civil discourse that you just said was important. And if we don't have civil discourse, then it does come to rat-a-tat-tat. And that's what it will come to. If discourse breaks down, if people continue violent actions and violent protests and take over city blocks, which I'm going to talk about uh, next, then we do have no other option than violence and then potential civil war. So it doesn't make me very happy to see somebody like Dave Chappelle who could take this opportunity to encourage more civil discourse, to come out more against cancel culture, to, to say, look, I support this and I'm with you and I understand. Here's the context of why I understand it. Here's my relative that was a slave and, how, and it was good to remind people of slavery. It's good to list the people that have been disproportionately hurt by policies. But he doesn't bring up the policies. He just is saying, yeah, be angry. I mean, I, I'm not going to say he's saying, yeah, go out, kill cops to get vengeance, but I could see how people could take that, take that away from it. And to cede the movement to the younger generation, when the older generation has more perspective, they've been there, they've been the ones fighting for this all along, to cede that movement to people who, I'm sorry, the young are typically the stupidest fucking people out there. And to just say, you drive. Ignorant jerk-offs, you drive. People who are, who are literally trying to drive us off a cliff at high speeds, you there that want no social discourse, that want ample censorship, that are trying to get people fired for voicing a different opinion, you take this car and drive it. Seems like an abdication of responsibility from a man who has a very powerful voice. So for me, I was very disappointed uh, in the overall culminating message while appreciating the sentiment. So there you go. That's my take. Okay, let's get into the Chaz slash the chop with the brand new Seattle-based television show, What's Chazin' In? Oh, yeah, the new Seattle-based comedy. What's chazzing in? Or what's chopping, whatever you want to fucking call it. I'm not sure what the chop stands for, and I'm not going to look it up. I know Chaz is Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. I don't know what the other one. Capitol Hill Occupied Place? Is, the, is that the chop? But talk about a fucking comedy playing out. It's comedy and tragedy. It's literally two sides of the classic thespian face mask watching this shit play out. 
And the reason I want to talk about it and do one of my classic segments, well, I'll do the intro for in a minute, is because as libertarians, we're faced with kind of an interesting set of circumstances uh, to discuss where we're coming from a place of, yep, that's something that uh, in theory we could support were it not for all of the armed <laughs> taking of private property and, of course, the infringements that played out from that. So let me play my intro and then we'll get into what's Chasmin with another episode of Bar Talk. Cliff, explanation, please. Now, how do you know he has one? Five bucks says he does, ten says it's a doozy. Maybe it's a beer talking hard, but you got a butt that won't quit. They got these big chewy pretzels here that are all you get with beer. You know, Five dollars? Get out of here. Oh, yeah, Bar Talk, where I break down a complex topic for you so that you can talk about it at a bar and hopefully not sound too bad or <laughs> too drunk or make too many enemies. Of course, this comes from my longstanding tradition of talking to dudes at bars. So let's talk some chaz. Uh, number one, right, on the surface, you look at people taking over an area of a city, right, and declaring independence, of seceding from it, and as libertarians, that's something you look at and you say, you know, that's something we could get behind, right? If you want to secede from a state or a region, if you, if you as the people decide that you want to do that, great. If you're doing it in a nonviolent manner, if all the people that have vested property rights in that area agree or are compensated, should you seize their property, then okay, you do that. That's great. And I've heard libertarians say, well, why haven't we tried this? Now, <laughs> number one, if libertarians tried this, you would without a doubt see police and National Guard called in immediately. You'd have a Waco-like situation or an Amon Bundy-type situation. That much I can assure you. So as libertarians, you have to realize that there's a huge difference between the way public perception treats and media and law enforcement and the military and the government treat libertarians versus Black Lives Matter. And this is something that People might turn their eyes up or say, oh, give me a break. Oh, oh you're a bunch of, bunch of libertarians. Yo, you haven't been oppressed. Okay. Maybe most libertarians have not been oppressed historically. And now, granted, that doesn't take into account the number of black libertarians, which are very much a part of the movement. And, the, uh, Latino, and Latinos and, I don't know, Asians and everybody else that's in here. It's not just white people. But we don't have the absolutely bulletproof Black Lives Matter mantra, support, uh, fawning corporate press, and fear from local and state governments as to stepping over the boundaries and inciting riots that Black Lives Matter has. I mean, nobody is going in the street. Like Duncan Lemp, in theory, I don't know if he was a libertarian or not. I know he was uh, probably on the anarchist side of things as a, a boogaloo advocate, or at least something that spoke about the boogaloo. But Duncan Lepp was killed in cold blood, and he was absolutely murdered by the police in a horrible act of violence that was absolutely indefensible. But we didn't have these type of marches. And you could have 50 libertarians killed by police or killed by military or, or summarily taken out, and you would not have any sort of outrage from the general populace. You would not have media saying that this is a travesty. It would be painted as warranted actions. It would be painted as these people were militias, these people were terrorists, these people were anti-government actors. 
even though we're seeing that exact same thing play out here. We are seeing literally the exact same anti-government, we want change sentiment playing out here, but no one dares to say anything against it nor take action against it. So let me just put that out there, A number one. Number two, the biggest difference between a libertarian philosophy taking a city center like this and what happened in the wake of the protest with this warlord, uh, Simone, I believe his name is Simone Raz, uh, if I'm saying that right. So, yeah, warlord Raz, Simone, yeah, Raz Simone. So what's different between these people taking over, and of course, he wasn't the one that led this entire movement. Raz Simone was not the guy that that definitively said, we're going to take over this area. I'm sure this was something that just gained steam. People were talking about it and then boom, it kind of steamrolled into, we're going to take back this area, which is Capitol Hill. It's like an urban center. Supposedly it's a, a, a big uh, epicenter for LGBTQ. Uh, a lot of nightlife is there. So I'm sure it just kind of rolled into, we're all here. Let's do this thing. And everybody said, yeah, okay, let's do it. And of course, it's during the lockdowns, so none of these people have jobs to go to. And again, I, I, I do theorize that a lot of these protests would have been over long ago if people actually had jobs to go back to. Uh, but of course, the government got rid of all of those when they forced us to stay home because of a, uh, a thing called COVID, which seems less real by the day. But we had this area taken over. Now, every know, everyone knows that if there is a power vacuum, that will be filled. And the person that filled it is apparently this guy, Raz Simone, who is a hip-hop artist and also is a very rich guy. Apparently, he's a millionaire. I'm reading this Forbes article about him. He owns a lot of properties. He is, I would argue, quite elite. Owns multiple million-dollar properties in Seattle, drives a Tesla, and plans to enact and build scalable and profitable business enterprises to build his community and society, if this article is to be believed. And I, you know, and I don't have any reason not to believe it. Some of the things that he wants to do, we can get behind. I mean, he does not want to completely uh, destroy and defund and eliminate the police. He wants to insane, instead uh, says change it, uh, reconfigure it, which is pretty much in line with what a libertarian perspective would be. It would be to defund the police entity as a state level and instead hire privately contracted security firms to come in and police it. Now, of course, that's not what has happened in the Chaz zone. What has instead happened is that they have armed men that are that have created essentially their own military force that are now policing it as though it were a military dictatorship. Now, he won't call it that. And of course, they've got a community group. I'm sure they have some conversations, but we are seeing some direct reports from within there saying that there's been violence enacted, that, that they violently stopped somebody from graffitiing over, you know, it's supposed to be this free zone, but graffitiing over something with another graffiti marker and, you know, a, a kind of beat that guy up. Uh, another man had tried to walk in and give a sermon, a Christian priest, Accounts say that that man was beaten, that they took his cell phone, that they, you know, had censored him and thrown him out. Now, as we know, if you have your own society, you can dictate who who comes in and, and who is permitted in that society if you have private property. And this is why borders are, in fact, a thing no matter what society you create. If it's not a state border, you're still going to have a border on your private property, your property you own if you have a community that you would define. Um, but they've got their borders up. They put up barricades. They put up uh, fences. And they're keeping people out, Just kind of funny. 
just sitting that uh, they, these people would call for open borders, but have put up borders. But we do see that they are using violence against those which they feel don't have their shared views. Now, Raz Simone has said in this article that he goes, I've seen five times somebody drive up in a car and shoot one of our black men. That is bullshit. There's no way in hell that happened. We would have heard about it in the media. He's just blowing smoke out of his ass. But there may have been other times where people tried to come in. There may have been times where people tried to, uh, to, to break through that we don't know about. I can, I'll give him that. The problem here, though, is that the people within this Chaz community, the people that are probably too scared to speak, are now forced to live with hundreds, if not thousands, of people that were not part of their community, that have now become part of their community uninvited, and they have no power to force out because they are under, as I said, a, essentially a military dictatorship by the people that are armed. And of course, these people, not having full access and free access to firearms, have little recourse to defend themselves or to take up their own rebellion or force these people out of their area to take it back. And I guarantee you, not everybody there is happy with thousands of people coming in, camping out, wrecking the parks, tearing shit up, hilariously trying to build a garden because these people are under the delusion that they will be staying there for a long time. I can promise you this is not going to be the case. Whether on a federal level, uh, Trump takes action with the military, which I could see as a definitive possibility, because it seems like right now the mayor has no interest. This is, you know, Seattle's mayor is a, a dipshit, as most most of the Seattle leadership is. So he doesn't seem to be taking action. And within the guidelines of what you think, these people are essentially hostages to this warlord and the, the local government's not going to help. So I could see Trump taking action. But that is really the difference. When we talk about this as libertarians, the lack of ability of these people to protect their private property, to define where and what they want as a community in light of thousands of interlopers that are armed and that are controlling everything they do. So that's the big issue we have. And if this was going to be done in a libertarian way, how would it happen? Well, number one, you wouldn't take it by force. You would have to have consensus from the people or you'd have to compensate them. Right? There's no way you could just take the zone over and order people to stay, you know, to do and, and live how you want, to, to allow people to leave and exit. Because again, these people control the borders. They've essentially created a terror or a hostage environment wherein even people living there now are going to have to show papers or show proof of it that they go in and out. If you get mistaken for identity, you may not be allowed in. Maybe there's maybe this escalates to the point you get shot. There's a lot of danger involved here. So in a libertarian society, this is this would only action by buying people out or by having voluntary agreement as to we will create this, everybody here is bought in, or you make agreements on a person-to-person level with the communities that don't want to be involved in that. And that would involve either personally buying out their private property rights or making some sort of arrangement with them with free transport or free, uh, free ability to travel in and out of the zone and some sort of other condition wherein they are taken care of, their livelihood is protected, their private property is protected, and having some sort of agreement or force come in, though, that is not a military dictatorship. This man talks about how he wants to have the police department be a different sort of arrangement, but you're telling me with all his millions, with all these people that are there, all these people just, just hanging out, they can't culminate their, their money together and bring it in to hire a security force that would be more accountable, that would be more professional than just a bunch of jerk-offs walking around with AK-47s and pistols and yelling at people for graffitiing wrong? In a libertarian position... There would have to be a contracted security force coming in there. 
No one person, no one uh, force would necessarily be trusted to handle that duty, especially in something that occurred this quickly. You have to have some sort of agreement, a stated set of rules that need to be about, abide by, that other people have agreed on in advance to incorporating or, or setting into place some sort of security measures that do have deadly force behind them. So at the end of the day, as libertarians, if somebody asks you, what do you think about Chaz? We have to emphatically reject this type of action, not because we don't oppose the government, not because we don't oppose the police and the actions they've taken, but because above all, libertarianism believes in property rights and protecting those rights. And the people within that area had no say as to the invasion and the hostage environment they have now been placed under. All right. Hope that wasn't too long. There's a bar talk for you. Cliff, explanation, please. Now, how do you know he has one? Five bucks says he does, ten says it's a doozy. Maybe it's a beer talking, Mark, but you got a butt that won't quit. They got these big chewy pretzels here that are all you get with beer. No, five dollars? Get out of here. All right, another quick little break here. I want to tell you about an awesome podcast from another supporter of our show named The Scarif Scuttlebutt. I know, it's a strange name, but sometimes that's good. Sticks in the mind, sticks in the craw. So anyway, when you're not listening to the Best Libertarian podcast, there's some other things out there. I know a lot of you are into sci-fi. I am into sci-fi. I do enjoy Star Wars, and this is a no-shill Star Wars podcast. So they talk about everything from the books to the movies to television to video games. They do deep dives into the saga, not just skimming on the surface to really get in there. Get into whether or not Luke and Leia secretly boned, you know? (laughs) Get in there, D. So they talk about topics such as politics, propaganda, and even fate versus free will as well in the context of this saga spinning off from that to have really fascinating conversations. They're not afraid to speak their minds. That much I would know, and you should know if they're supporters of this podcast. So again, you can find them on Twitter at Scarif Podcast, that's S-C-A-R-I-F Podcast, or of course, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, we're back in it. God, it's already an hour into this show. I am one long-winded prick. You guys know that? (laughs) Yeah, you know it. Um, Okay, a couple things to talk about. Just getting back into... um, uh, How about the Supreme Court? Not talking about and taking on uh, concealed carry arguments. Deciding they're not going to hear that case. Just cowardly. I mean, Clarence Thomas... Not Gorsuch, mind you. Clarence Thomas really went out of his way to talk about how they have prolonged their decade-long fail, decade, excuse me, long failure to protect the Second Amendment. Just absolutely atrocious. And of course, the Supreme Court also will not hear the qualified immunity arguments. Now, that's something that hopefully Justin Amash can push forward to the front lines because he has already gained tripartisan. Democrat, Republican, of course, libertarian is the only libertarian uh, as in Congress right now. But he has put forth his own bill to end qualified immunity. That is fantastic. So hopefully we don't have to worry about the Supreme Court weighing it in. And of course, if you listen to my show with J.B. Lubin two episodes ago, where we talked about qualified immunity, and he brought up something that I didn't know, which is that the Supreme Court got rid, or actually not got rid of, introduced qualified immunity, which wasn't a thing, what didn't exist to protect the cops and make them basically immune to being prosecuted or having people come after them for the murders that they commit. That didn't come into play until 1967. 
coincidentally, during some particularly bad rioting in Detroit. So, anyway, thank you, Clarence Thomas, for standing up. Shame on every other Supreme Court justice. But in the meantime, though, they did go out of their way to placate the left in as far as LBGTQ, uh, transgender protections, etc., by saying that the, was it, the 1964 Equality Bill or Equality Act does, in fact, encompass sex as a, a broader term, not just discrimination on the basis of sex as a male or female, but in the larger context of whatever sex you identify as now. Now, to me, that does seem to be a fairly messy thing because with their 72 genders now, you could have somebody be eliminated from a position and then go back and argue they were eliminated for being, I don't know, a, a cat person or a, a person that has a, a duck cork through dick. I don't fucking know. But tends to be messy. At the same time, if we're going to accept that this, this act is a thing, and of course, as a libertarian, I think you should be able to get fired for any reason any reason at all by a private employer, not a state employer, mind you, but as a private business owner, you should be able to fire somebody for whatever you want to fire them for now. And also that you should be able to, uh, to decide who you want to do business with for any reason that you might decide. But on the same level, if you have this act, if it exists and it bans discrimination on the basis of sex, I also can't make a real argument under the basis of the you know, the guides, the guidelines that they're using to say that, okay, well, transgender people should not benefit from that. Or LGBTQ and their sexual orientation should not benefit from that. Maybe some libertarians are gonna be pissed off at me for interpreting it that way, but if you that if that is going to stand, that discrimination law on the basis of sex, I can understand why the Supreme Court ruled that way. I think it's going to be horribly messy. I don't think there should be an equality law uh, for discrimination on the basis of sex in regards to employers. But if there exists one, this makes sense to me. Okay, moving on. Uh, how about, uh, oh, this is a good one. So Trump actually took some some signing of executive orders. He wants to track police misconduct and on uh, improve officer training, as well as, I believe, look to limit chokeholds. And this is a little bit confusing. Limit chokeholds only to circumstances where the officer fears for his or her life. Again, that comes down to a very subjective point of view, doesn't it? Because one could argue that an officer might always fear for their life. I mean, again, talking about in the past, going up to a car, if you're a cop and you're going up to a car and it's got a black guy in it and you have a predisposition because of the crime rates for black Americans to say, okay, well, I'm at a greater greater, uh, danger here. And I guess statistically, this is what I'll get canceled for. Watch. Statistically, I think officers are 18 times more likely to be killed by a black man than a black man to be killed by an officer. That was some, a recent stat I wrote. Or I read. I wrote it. I wrote it. That's There you go. That's what I'll really get canceled for. But no, I'd read that recent stat. Now, again, caveat, and I argue this in the past shows I did, this is with the knowledge that, of course, there's over-policing in black communities. The drug wars active in black communities. Police and black er, black men view police as the enemy for very good reason, because of over-policing, because of the fact that they can go to jail so easily, because of the harassment. So again, this, is, this goes both ways. But devil's advocate, you can see where a cop would say, okay, I might be in danger. So they may be saying and make this argument in court, their argument would be, oh, I was in fear for my life, so I felt that I was entitled to use a chokehold. This is why is stuff like this, uh, putting these caveats in there doesn't make any sense. You either can or cannot do a chokehold. If you can't, 
That's it. Oh, another thing he did, though, I do like this pla- tracking police misconduct. This is something that's been very controversial, very hard to do. New York kept all of its police misconduct secret. There was a notorious police secrecy law in the New York legislature to protect cops from uh, people finding out what their past misconduct reports were. So that is a great thing, finding out which ones are the bad cops, being able to find out what they've done, be able to, to use that to try to get them removed from their positions. Um... Flash forward, different topics. Sorry, I was running through these now because I've, I've been talking too long and I got to wrap it up because it's getting too late. Um, India and China got into a big fight on their border between... You know, so basically, context for this, the border between China and India is disputed. There's never really been a solid agreed on demarcation line. And so what they do is they just keep putting troops on the border. And then they set up a little across the border and they set up camps and tents there with the Chinese have done. And, uh, you know, turns out that when you have heavily armed people that are kind of on edge that have kind of been poking at each other for decades, sometimes people get shot. So that escalated over this past couple of days where 20 Indian soldiers were killed, including the commanding officer in that region and something like 43 people's, uh, I think it's people's liberation army. The PLA is what the Chinese calls their military. Some 43 people are reported dead on that side. Now, These are two nuclear-armed countries. I don't think, considering China's position right now globally, how people are blaming them for this virus, how people are trying to sue them, if they got into a real war with India, I doubt it would escalate to any sort of nuclear conflict because I I don't think anybody's ever going to use nuclear arms unless they're absolutely pinned against the wall like a North Korea situation would be. But the world, I think, would come after China. It would be a perfect excuse to knock them down a peg. And I think that a lot of countries would look at that opportunity to back India quite heavily. Um, so hopefully that doesn't happen. Another interesting uh, circumstance right now is I talked about in, I think, three weeks ago now, time is flying with all this news coming out, the fact that Israel had been attempting annexation of Palestine. This is under Trump's plan, right? This great plan that would essentially give away Palestine, give away their security, and let Israel come in, be the occupying force even more officially, take over that region, police it with their military, and have these people have no say about it, have basically cede their private property rights. Basically, it would be the Chaz zone for all of Palestine with Israel controlling the borders and the people of Palestine having absolutely no say in the matter because the U.S. is backing it and Israel has all the armament and the military and vastly more resources. Of course, the United States provides them with vast military resources and money. So Palestine says it would declare statehood if Israel attempts annexation. Of course, I would too. (laughs) I would too. And Israel's high court in a rare moment of clarity and a rare moment of moral uh, justice, I would say, or moral, moral clarity for anything coming out of Israel uh, from a state level, uh, their high court has struck down the West Bank land grab as unconstitutional, which is interesting to say the least. And at the same time, APAC, which of course I can't stand because all they do is bully and, uh, and threaten and uh, basically funnel money to the politicians that they like and try to ruin the careers of those that they don't, not necessarily based upon any real evidence, but because why not? Uh, They have told U.S. lawmakers that they won't push back if U.S. lawmakers criticize annexation. Oh, yeah? 
Oh, thanks, APAC. Lawmakers could criticize the U.S. giving tacit approval for a country to basically illegally on any national stage take over a fucking country? Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Oh, talk about winning over my heart. It took them a while, but there you go. APAC really came through for me there, guys. They were all, all along. They were great guys. Jesus Christ. The fact that they feel that they need to tell lawmakers that it's okay to criticize them tells you APAC has too much power and how cowardly our lawmakers are. Next thing, uh, ex-CNN anchor Soledad O'Brien said that a network executive told her to only have the, quote, right kind, unquote, of black guests. And she was talking about having a Roland Martin on the show that got kiboshed only leftist black voices on CNN. No surprise there. Another thing. Oh, here's, here's the idiots of the week. Number one, HBO Max pulled Gone with the Wind. Of course, a multiple Academy Award winning film. I've never seen it. I'd like to see it now because honestly, I never had that much interest in it. I was like, okay, it's, I know it's supposed to be this Academy Award winning classic. I don't know. It's during the Antebellum South. I don't have that fascination with Antebellum South to go back and watch it. I'm not from the South. I don't really give a shit about a love story in the South. But of course, slavery is happening during this time. And they feel that people felt the way that it's portrayed, you know, glorifies the Antebellum South and glorifies slavery. So the answer to that was for HBO Max to pull it off its channels and for people to try to get it boycotted. And Queen Latifah, of course, the great intellectual mind of Queen Latifah, has said that she doesn't want it to ever come back. This is the kind of censorship and idiocy I'm talking about. Now, Queen Latifah is older, right? Queen Latifah is not the younger generation that Chappelle is happy to get in the back of the back of the cab and let them drive. But this kind of reactionary uh, history erasing bullshit drives me insane. It's the same thing with taking down Confederate statues, the same thing with uh, defacing these monuments and removing all these references. If you don't have historical context, these things can happen again. You need to be reminded. I mean, just again, on Monday's show, Vin Armani was talking about how the survivors of the Holocaust are dying off. And I know this particularly well, having worked with an organization that found survivors and witnesses to the Holocaust that took place outside of Auschwitz, where they went through the countryside and Nazis killed Jews in small towns throughout Eastern Europe. And they buried them in mass graves. Horrible, horrific stuff. That organization is at a turning point because the survivors and the witnesses are dying off. There's no one to tell this story in their own words to remind people of this. Now, hopefully, the Jewish community can keep this going and keep this alive. But there is that danger that it can go away and people will forget. And what happens when these generations die out, when you remove these monuments, when you take them down because slavery, we can't, we can't look at a thing that, that is related to slavery because, you know, triggered When you take that shit out of conversation, when you take it out of the public eye and you pretend that it never existed and you say, okay, well, it's all gone now. It's all better now. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to talk about it. Lost in the sands of time, that's when it can happen again. These people want us to have this conversation right now. Nickelodeon forces people, forces children to watch a black screen with I can't breathe flashing on it and heavy breathing because these kids need to have the conversation now. But at the same time, these same people want to make sure that we don't have this conversation at any point in the future, uh, let alone let people be reminded of the fact walking around a park because they don't want to talk about it. Seems a little bit hypocritical. 
So now, uh, anyway, Gone with the Wind's back. I guess they inserted some black philosopher or something like that to give a speech in front of the movie, which hopefully you can fast forward through. But um, it's just it's just idiotic. And censorship of any kind is idiotic. The 1984-style history, erasing history, altering uh, mandate that is taking control of entertainment and culture is sickening. I mean, it is literally book burning. It, it is literally the double speak. It is double plus ungood to do this. And we're seeing it happen with accelerating speed. And the final thing, a California man, the Mexican-American man, who worked for Sa- uh, the San Diego Electric Company, I believe, or San Diego Power and Gas. He was at a stoplight, and he's got his hand out the window. And you know how 4chan had conned the left into believing that the OK symbol was a white power sign? Which, by the way, if anybody out here doesn't know this already, it was a prank created by 4chan that the media bought hook, line, and sinker. The okie-dokie symbol is not a white power symbol. It never has been. In fact, the only way it could have become one was the media running with the story to the point where young, stupid white people, or or young, stupid whatever people, I don't know, some white supremacists aren't white, which is bizarre, but young, stupid people saw the story, you know, teenagers, and then got pissed off seeing all this other coverage and, and the media constantly telling them that they're the evil in the world and that, uh, and that they're to blame for all of the ills of black society or any society. And they started adopting this stupid OK symbol, which, of course, only I grew up knowing OK. And I just used it. Actually, I used it. I used it and then thought, thought to myself after I did it. Oh, shit. But I was at Costco and I'm walking in and this black couple's walking out. And I was like, hey, is it super crowded in there? Because it had been the lines of it atrocious. And they were like, no, no, it's fine. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I flashed the okay symbol and I kept walking. And then I was like, oh, you know, I wonder if those people were brainwashed into thinking that I am now racist and I was trying to white supremacize these people with my hand gesture. Anyway, this is a long story for a very short article. So this guy's at the stoplight and he's got his hands out and he's like, you know, people can crack their knuckles by pulling back the finger. So he's doing that with his thumb and some fucking jerk off in the car next to him, takes a picture. The guy's not even, the guy can't even see him, by the way. He can't even see this asshole in the car. But the asshole in the car sends a picture of the guy cracking his knuckles out the car window, saying it was a white supremacist okay symbol, sent it to the fucking San Diego Power and Gas Company, and got him fired. That's the level of hysteric douchebaggery, idiocy, ignorance, and vindictiveness we're dealing with right now. This is what Dave Chappelle wants to give over. This is what he wants to allow the people to drive the card. And that's why I can't, can't come away from that special without a, a sour taste in my mouth. And as one, as a pretty funny, actually, uh, I'll give him a shout out because he was dead on right in response to this, uh, this piece. But as a, uh, a oft- Commenting a supporter of the show, Justin Har, has pointed out that he lost sympathy for the guy when he read this quote from him. Quote, Cafferty told the outlet he was proud of San Diego gas and energy for taking allegations of racism seriously, but wanted to return to work. Which, as Justin accurately points out, tells him that if this had happened to someone else, he'd approve of them being fired. Very good point, Justin. So while I still oppose it, 
in every way, this guy, much like the oft-mentioned quote, would not have spoken up while they took away every other person, and then no one would be left to speak up for him. All right, that's going to do it for this show, guys. Uh, Hopefully, I'm still here, have a job, and don't get canceled for daring to speak out on any of these topics today. So, I want to remind you, I mentioned it already, but do check out the Vin Armani interview. Marked it on Monday. Really, really enjoyed that uh, that interview. And uh, Vin just moved to Saipan. I wish I knew when, when he was here in Southern California. Would have loved to have gone and grabbed a drink with the guy. Seems like a fascinating individual. Uh, a philosopher turned gigolo, turned TV star while gigolo, turned libertarian uh, businessman and entrepreneur. Pretty fascinating. And, uh, of course, John Odermatt, Felony Fridays every Friday. Don't miss that. The excellent work that John is doing over there and has been doing for a very long time, predating all of this latest jumping on of the bandwagon to, uh, to fight back against the police state. And, of course, I'm here every Wednesday. Your favorite. You know it's true. All right, guys, from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into Liberty.